Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. My name is Joel, and if you don't recognize me, that's because I'm not normally here. I'm the site pastor in Port Perry, and I'm normally up there with our Port Perry family, but I've been here working at C4 for a little over six years. Some of you might remember me from when I was the young adults pastor before I journeyed up to the north to lead our congregation, our community up there at that site. Uh, but it's, it's just so great to be with you this morning. It's great to be back down here in Ajax. Uh, if you don't know me, don't know much about me, my name is Joel, and I'm married to my wife, Nicole. Nicole. We got married about almost five years ago, and a little over eight months ago now, we welcomed our first child into the world, and her name is Sophie, and uh, I know I'm biased, but she's the cutest baby I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> she's here this morning listening to Daddy somewhere, uh, and you know, the, as I've become a parent, and, and, and as I see her every day, and I see her wake up from her naps, and she started to say, Dad, Dad, there's just really one word that comes to my mind, and it's a word I've actually never used before. She's mesmerizing. <laughs> she really is. She's, she's absolutely incredible, and I've so enjoyed becoming a father over these last eight months. Becoming a father has actually caused me to think a lot about the incarnation of Jesus. If you don't, want the, no, don't know what that means, it's this. The incarnation of Jesus, it, it's a core Christian belief, a core Christian doctrine, uh, where we believe that God himself, through his son Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, and therefore God, left heaven, came down to earth, took on flesh, as the scriptures said, say, and, and became one of us. He was born through the Virgin Mary, and he grew up just like any one of us did. The Incarnation declares boldly that Jesus was both 100% human and 100% God at the same time. It's a beautiful mystery. And as I've kind of meditated and thought about what the Incarnation means, it's, it's taken on a whole new meaning for me as a father because I realized that Jesus was like a little bean inside Mary's tummy, for nine months. Like her bump, you could see Jesus was inside there. And, and I'm quite sure that Joseph freaked out and lost his mind when Mary was in labor and in delivery and lost years off his life like I did, because that's kind of the normal human experience. Jesus was delivered through Mary. And I imagine Jesus learning how to crawl and learning how to speak. And I imagine Mary and Joseph having to watch Jesus crawl around and pick up every little piece of crumb and dirt he can find on the ground and put it in his mouth because as I'm learning, that's what babies do. You got to keep your eyes on them the whole time. And then Jesus grew up. He learned how to walk. He learned the scriptures. And he went on to spend, we think, 33 years of 100% human life here on earth. And therefore, he is able to empathize with us in everything that we go through. And he would eventually go to the cross, and, and that's the story of the gospel, that this Jesus who became one of us took the penalty that we rightly deserved and died on the cross. See, Joseph and Mary, crazy enough, they, they raised Jesus in, in a very similar way that Nicole and I are raising Sophie. And I just think that's such a remarkable thought, and it never actually occurred to me until I started raising this baby myself. If you were with us here last week, You'll know that Pastor John began our Christmas teaching series. Uh, he, he, he began with the genealogy of Jesus, which I consider to be the most boring passage in the entire Bible, 
until you dive into it and, and you see what is really going on in this list of names. As he said last week, uh, this is kind of an unusual list. It's not a list of names or a list of people that you would expect to lead to the Son of God. It's, it's, it's full of pain. It's full of shame. It's full of people that you would not expect to be there. And Joseph is actually one of them. This list, although it's filled with pain and shame, it's largely filled with kings and patriarchs and, and heroes of the faith. And then we get to the end of it and we see this guy named Joseph show up. And Joseph is this, this nobody. He's from small town, backwater Nazareth. He, he, he doesn't go on to be a king. He, he's not this great patriarch of the faith. In fact, we see that he doesn't even fit the usual mold in the genealogy. Let me show you what I mean. In, in the last verse of the genealogy, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. If you read the rest of the list, which I won't do to you this morning, you will see that the pattern is X, the father of Y. And, and the emphasis is on the father in, in most cases. And then we get to Jesus and we see Joseph, the husband of Mary. He, he is assigned to uh, no, noteworthiness because of Mary. And that kind of breaks this pattern. He just, he sticks out like a lot of people do in the genealogy. But he does this remarkable thing. Even though he is a normal average person, he does something absolutely incredible. He welcomes Jesus into the world. Quite, quite literally, he welcomes Jesus into the world as a baby and takes on the earthly responsibility of raising him and being his earthly father. See, God took this nobody and he stitched him. He stitched Joseph into the story of God. He stitched this guy who was just an average person into the family of God. And what I want you to know this morning is that if God can stitch Joseph into the story of God, if he can weave him into the storyline, he can weave you and I into his storyline. And that is exactly what God is doing in the world today and doing right now this morning. Uh, but Joseph's story begins actually before Jesus is born. Before Jesus is crawling around on the floor, picking up things and putting them in his mouth, Joseph's story begins we, we meet Joseph for the first time when he's in quite a predicament. Let me show you uh, what happens in, in Matthew 1, verse 18. Matthew writes, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. See, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in his mind to divorce her quietly. Now, what you know, need to know in this culture is that pledged to be married at first glance may sound like they're engaged, like Joseph is Mary's fiancé. It works a bit differently in that culture. Basically, there were two stages to getting married. Number one, you would exchange consent uh, among witnesses, and this would look very similar to our modern-day wedding ceremony. Uh, and then secondly, the groom would then take the bride home with him, but in between, there would be about a year's gap where the, the husband and wife would uh, live apart. They would continue to live with their own families, and then after about a year, the, the groom would take the bride home. However, in that in-between period, they are essentially, in our modern terms, legally married. So when it says that they're pledged to be married, yet Joseph was planning to divorce her, uh, it is very true. He could not just break up with her and walk away. He would have to legally divorce her. Now, there's a problem 
obviously. Uh, Mary has been hanging out with her relative Elizabeth, and she's been there for about three months. And when she comes back, she is found to be pregnant. In other words, you could see. She had, she had a bump. She was starting to show. She might have been maybe four months along, four or five months along at this time. And Joseph, along with everybody else in the community, they see and discover that she's pregnant. Now, this is a problem to Joseph because he has not had sex with her. And yet, somehow, she's pregnant. So, where does his mind go? Where, where would your mind go in that situation? Of course, he's thinking that Mary has committed adultery. Mary's cheated on me. And in this moment, basically his whole life falls apart. He's, he's in love with Mary. They're going to get married. He's been faithful to her. And he finds that Mary has apparently not been faithful to him. Now, we may not have all experienced that specifically, but we have all experienced this moment where it feels like our lives have just kind of fallen apart out of nowhere. Didn't see it coming, and our lives have just fallen apart. What, what do we do when everything in life just crumbles in a moment? Are we ready for it? Do we trust God? Do we believe that God is doing something? Do we believe that God is still there? See, Joseph, he, he's probably an older teenager right now, but still quite young. The text says that he's faithful to the law. He does right by the Old Testament law. He wants to do what is right by the Old Testament law. And the law says that if your wife commits adultery, that you must divorce her. And in doing so, you will cause shame to come on the person that you divorce. She will be cast out of the community. She will become unclean. And in some, uh, in some segments, in some context, she may even be liable to be stoned. Like, this is, this is for real. It's not like being divorced today. There's so much more that comes along with it. So he, he, he's a good man, and he decides that he is going to divorce her. He's going to be right to the law but he's going to try to do it as quietly as possible. Now, Mary says, I didn't do it. Mary says, no, I did, I did not commit adultery. You have to believe me. And Joseph is left in this problem where his, his wife, his fiance, pledged to be married to, she, she's saying, no, I didn't do it. And it looks to anyone like she did. But this plan of his is, is kind of, uh, there's something else going on with this plan because really there would be no quiet way to divorce Mary. People would find out. People would absolutely find out, and Joseph would not be able to protect her. Now, what Joseph is thinking, sure, he wants to do it quietly, that's great. But really, he knows that if he doesn't divorce Mary, then he will be cast out just like her. If he chooses Mary over what the law says, he knows that he will be cast out, he will become unclean, all of the social stuff that he has, it will be gone. And he will wear it. He, he will, there will be a cost to pay for staying with Mary. So he said, no, I, I got to do it. I'm going to divorce her. And that's what he had in his mind. Now, I want to stop right here. Hit pause. We need to sit here for a moment. Because if you grew up in church, you know how this story goes. Okay, God is about to intervene. But in this moment, Joseph is in the in-between. This thing has happened. His life has come crumbling apart. Uh, he has not heard from God yet, and he is trying to figure out what to do. So he thinks about it, and he makes up a plan. He decides that he is going to leave Mary. Now, in this in-between moment, what do we do? I, I think there's probably some people in the room here this morning who are living in the in-between right now. The, the moment between the thing that happened and the answer. 
This, this confusing time between the moment where life falls apart, the moment where you begin, why did this happen, and the moment where it begins to make sense. You ask yourself, is God still here? Is God there? Is God God? Is God good? Where is God in the in-between time? I would imagine these were some questions that Joseph would be asking that, if we're honest, I think are all too familiar to us. Now, what happens next is truly amazing. God does intervene, and an angel comes to visit Joseph, and this is what it says in verse 20. It said, after Joseph had considered this, after he had made up his mind that he was going to divorce Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Imagine now, you've made up your mind, you feel like you've got the right path, and then a literal angel meets you while you're, while you're sleeping. You have a dream, and an actual angel from the Lord appears to Joseph. And this angel says to him four things. He says, number one, Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, this is a common phrase that angels will say to people when they, they meet with them because quite often it is terrifying to be met with an angel, but there's more going on here. He's not just saying, don't be afraid of my presence, the angel. He's saying, do not be afraid to do what is right out of fear. Don't be afraid to do what is the right thing to do because it will cost you. You must do what is right regardless of the other stuff. So don't be afraid. Secondly, the angel says, take her home. So now you must take home your wife. You remember from the way that marriage works in this culture, that's the second phase of the process. Taking Mary home would complete the process of them becoming married. And the angel is saying, listen, don't divorce her. In fact, do the opposite. Take her home. Make her your wife. Complete step two of the marriage process. Because the third thing he says is, this is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has put this baby in Mary's belly. She did not cheat on you. This is not a case of adultery. What she says is true. She did not do it. She has been faithful to you and to God. This is from the Holy Spirit. You need to know this, Joseph. And then the angel says this, the fourth thing. You will name this baby inside Mary Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sins. He will be their savior. Now, the, the word Jesus, the name Jesus, if you know your Old Testament well, means Joshua. And Joshua was the one who was the leader of Israel, who succeeded Moses, who led Israel into the promised land and defeated their enemies and essentially delivered them from their enemies so that they could settle in the promised land. And what Matthew is saying is that Jesus, what the angel is saying is that this baby Jesus is going to do for Israel now what jo Joshua did for Israel then, except it's going to be way bigger, way more epic, way more all-consuming because he's going to save their people from his sins. Now, in this time, the people of God were waiting for their Savior to come. They were waiting for the promised Messiah. And what they wanted from this person was ultimately political deliverance. Rome had occupied the promised land. They were living in the promised land again, but it was not under their control. And they wanted Rome out. They wanted this Savior and this Messiah to come and restore the glory days so that they could live it up in the promised land. And what the text says and what the angel says is that's not the kind of deliverance you're going to get because that's not the kind of deliverance that you need. There is something more significant and more important going on here 
than just Rome. Your, your temporal, your earthly difficulties, yes, they're not unimportant, but there is something much more important going on, and that is the disease called sin. And that is what this baby is going to come to accomplish. There's more significance here to the name Jesus. Not just will Jesus be their savior and their deliverer and, and the better Joshua, so to speak, but also when Joseph names Jesus, this will make Jesus David's legal son. So in this culture, when the father names the son, that completes the process of welcoming him into the family. So although jo Joseph is not Jesus's biological father, when he names him Jesus, which is why the angel says, you will name him Jesus, not only uh, will he receive this name, but he will be acknowledged in the line of David. He will be the one that has been promised. And this is the incarnation, that Jesus will be both 100% the Son of God, and at the same time, 100% the Son of David. And at this point, appropriately, Matthew kind of hits pause, and he says, now there's something else going on here that you really need to know before we finish the story. There is so much significance here. Matthew just pauses the story, and like a sidebar, he takes us to verse 22 and 23, and he says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is truly remarkable. If you can take a moment to let this set in, these words were spoken by the prophet Isaiah over 700 years before Jesus was born. And this wasn't the only prophecy that was spoken over Jesus. This one, we believe, took place about 734 years before Jesus was born during the rule of King Ahaz. But there were actually over 300 messianic prophecies that prophesied, or in modern language, predicted that Jesus would come, that this Savior would be born. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of them down to a T. He, he, he fulfilled them all. Mathematicians, John said it last week, you might as well try to get hit by lightning 10 times before you get this right by accident. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. It says, they will call him Emmanuel. These were Isaiah's words. This literally means God with us. This is the seal that it truly is the Son of God. This is not just any Jesus, because it was a popular name back then, but he is Jesus Emmanuel. He is Jesus, God in flesh. He is Jesus, God with us. This is how John so beautifully puts it in his gospel. In verse 14 of the first chapter, it says, The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This is the Jesus that Isaiah spoke about 700 years before. This is him. This is God in flesh come to us. Now Joseph wakes up from his dream. Can you imagine waking up from that dream and trying to process, trying to figure out, how do I respond to that? What, like, what just happened? This is, his, this is his response in verse 24. When Joseph woke up. Now, if you're a highlighter or a marker in your Bible, highlight those four words. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. As soon as Joseph woke up from this dream, he obeyed. He had a plan, he had resolved in his mind what he was going to do, and then he has this dream, 
and then he changes course immediately. As soon as he wakes up from this dream, he obeys what the angel of the Lord said. He married Mary, he took her home and completed the marriage process, and he named the baby Jesus when he was born, as the angel said. And Matthew says, by the way, just, just for the record, a couple things you need to say. Number one, they, they didn't have sex until after Jesus was born. Just to make sure it's clear, this is, this is the Holy Spirit. There, there can be no confusion. The Holy Spirit did this, and this is Jesus in there, the Son of God. And secondly, as Joseph names him Jesus, there is both legal significance and spiritual uh, significance. The adoption process, so to speak, welcoming Jesus into the family, acknowledging him as David's son, done. And recognize him as the, the, the son of David, the spiritual experience, uh, spiritual significance also done. This is the son of God in flesh, the son of David. Now what do we take away from a story like this that for many of us perhaps is quite familiar? It's the story of Joseph at Christmas. Maybe we hear it every other year, every three years if we go to church all the time on Christmas. Well, first of all, I think this is really important to just sit on for a moment. In Joseph, we see an example of immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. Those four words again. When Joseph woke up, he did what the Lord commanded him. It doesn't say when Joseph woke up, he prayed about it for a while, or he thought about it, or he talked to some friends. Those things are all fine. But when the Lord speaks... You don't have to pray about it. The Lord has spoken. And immediately Joseph acts on what the Lord has said. We have to ask ourselves this morning, is that what we do when the Lord speaks to us? Do we say yes right away and immediately obey? Or do we take our time, we think about it, we try to find excuses out of it? There are so many times in my life, I'm sorry to say, that the Lord has asked me to do something and I've waited or I've tried to get out of it or I've just said no. I remember when I was uh, early in my faith, I, I grew up in the church, I left the church, and when I was 19, the Lord encountered me powerfully and I came back to my faith and back to the church. And those first couple years were a little rough in terms of character. There were still some things that the Lord was working out of me. I mean, he still is. But at the time, I was working at the marina in Port Perry, where I grew up. And I worked there for a couple years. And on my last day, uh, my boss and I got into it. We got into an argument. And I was really rude to him. I'm embarrassed to say I was, I was really rude to him. And he stormed off and I stormed off. We were both yelling. And, and, and that's where we left it. And God was very gracious with me. I think maybe a year went by. Uh, where it just really wasn't on my mind that much. I thought maybe he deserved it or definitely deserved it. Or you know how we think, right? And about a year later, I was doing landscaping work between summers in university trying to pay the bills. And I felt this, this quiet prompting begin to kind of rise within me. It, it was a new thing for me, kind of in my embryonic faith. As I was growing, I was like, what is this? And it got stronger and stronger, and it got to the point where I knew that it was the Lord. I knew the Lord was asking me to go and apologize to the man that I was so rude to. <laughs> and I just didn't want to do it. I mean, it, we did not end well. 
I, I, I thought he probably hated me, and rightfully so. And I didn't think he would receive it well. I had all these excuses and all these reasons, and I put it off for days and weeks, maybe even a month or two. And then it got to the point where I just had to do it. I knew the Lord was asking me. So I asked for courage from the Holy Spirit, and I went to the marina, and I walked in after work one day. And he looked at me, and I apologized, and he received my apology, and he apologized to me. And it was just so clear to me that the Holy Spirit had gone before me. I walked in that room trembling, nervous, shaking. And I worked up the courage to say, I'm sorry. And it was so evident that this was so something that the Holy Spirit had gone before me with. Because you know, when God calls us to do something, he equips us to do what he calls us to do. And when God tells us to go, he always goes before us. And he always goes with us. And he always walks behind us. And he was always good. But sometimes he asks us to do things that are difficult. I heard this phrase growing up in church, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Not in love with the phrase, grace is here. There is grace for that. But there's truth in there. When God speaks, do we obey immediately, knowing that he is good, knowing that he would not ask us to do something that was bad, but knowing that there may be a cost, but that he is better. I want to ask you this morning, is there something that the Lord has asked you to do that perhaps you are waiting on, that perhaps you haven't said yes to yet? Perhaps you have not immediately obeyed on this thing that the Lord has asked you to do. Maybe there's something really specific. Like, I don't know, maybe the Lord is asking you to adopt a child. And you're just saying, I can't do it, can't afford it, I don't think it's for me, I don't think it's right, it takes so long, whatever. But you know in your heart that the Lord is asking you to adopt. What do you do? What if the Lord is asking you to move your family across the country to take this new opportunity? Or there's something crazy that the Lord is asking you to do that you haven't acted on yet. Now, we test everything. We throw away what is bad. We cling to what is good. We test it with the scriptures. We test it in community so we don't go off to crazy land. But is there something that the Lord has asked you to do that you have not acted on yet? Now, it's not just revelations like unique things. The Lord has actually given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. And there are many, many commands in his word that we can start with. Actually, that's the right place to start and to never waver from. I mean, maybe the Lord is asking you to stop doing something. Maybe the Lord is asking you to stop getting drunk on Friday nights. You just, you, you got to stop. You need to stop watching porn. Maybe you're having an affair and the Lord is just saying, like, please stop. Maybe you have a gossip problem. Maybe you have a gluttony problem. I mean, read the scriptures. They are clear what God asks us to do. Now, grace, love, he woos us with his presence and his goodness, but it is clear. I mean, maybe it's different. Maybe the Lord is asking you to start doing something. Maybe you're walking with Jesus and you, you would say you're a disciple of Christ, but you have not yet been baptized. What are you waiting for? The scriptures are clear. Immediate obedience is what we need to strive for. Maybe you're not giving sacrificially and giving regularly. Maybe you're not serving. Maybe you need to start caring for the poor in practical ways. I mean, these are things that we don't need a revelation for. We don't need to pray whether or not we should care for the poor. The scriptures have already made it quite clear to us. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're here for child dedications. You don't normally come to church or, or maybe you just came on a whim this morning and you don't know Jesus. You're not a church person. 
Maybe your step of immediate obedience this morning is to actually start walking with Jesus, to actually accept him and welcome him into your life and be his disciple. I love these words in Revelation 3. Jesus says, here I am. I wait. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Maybe you need to answer the knock <laughs> this morning. Maybe, maybe your step of obedience is to begin following Jesus. The second thing I want to say is this. We are now eight days away from Christmas. Anyone excited? Anyone need to start shopping yet? I need to do a little shopping. Eight days away. Now, over the next week, your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues and strangers in the grocery store, most of them are likely going to be more open to an invitation to church this week than any other time throughout the entire year. Think about Joseph for a second. Joseph was just an average person who did an incredible thing. And the incredible thing that he did is that he literally welcomed Jesus into the world. Now, in the literal sense, that job has been done. Jesus has been welcomed into the world. That story has been written. But now it is our job to kind of continue the legacy that Joseph began and continue to welcome Jesus into the world. See, we welcome Jesus into the world every time we show love to a stranger or to someone who's difficult to love or anyone at all. We welcome Jesus when we share the gospel with somebody. We welcome Jesus when we invite somebody to church because we know that they need the message that we have been given. Last week, I was at the gym and I'm becoming friends with this one guy at the gym and uh, we got talking and I invited him to church. And he didn't seem like interested like he would go, but the conversation moved on and, and it grew and we talked for about half an hour and I ended up sharing the gospel with him. He had never heard it before. And like I fumbled and bumbled my way through it. It wasn't super clear, but I went and I did it. And you know what happened? You know how it ended? He laughed in my face. He literally laughed in my face and said, that's not something that I could ever believe. And I don't think he's coming to church on Christmas Eve. I pray that I'm wrong. I pray that he does. I pray that he thinks about our conversation and asks some new questions, but I went and I did it. I, I tried to welcome Jesus into his life, and it was kind of a train wreck. Like, we got to talk, and that was amazing, but laughed, laughed. See, it's our job to do that no matter what the cost is. If there's a social cost to it, we still have to do it. If God has called us to welcome people into the world like Joseph did, we have to go. But, but here's the beauty of it. As we go, and as we do this immediate obedience thing, and as we try to welcome Jesus into the world and, and invite people to church on Christmas Eve next week, we know that God is with us. And this is where it all boils down. This is the gospel, and this is the Christmas message, that God is with us. God is with us through his Son and through his Spirit. God did not leave us to ourselves. This is the truth and the beauty of the gospel. God did not abandon us. He did not leave us stuck in our sin, but he came down from heaven and he took on flesh and he became one of us and he became familiar with our human existence so that, as I said, we know he can empathize with us no matter what we're going through. He was tempted in every way, the scriptures say. And when he went to the cross as a sinless sacrifice and, and rose again three days later and then ascended into heaven, he gave us his spirit. And we know that Anywhere two or three of us are gathered in his name, he is with us. 
We know that as he ended his earthly ministry, he said, I am with you always so that we can know that God is always with us no matter what's going on. God is with you when you suffer. God is with you when you're lonely. God is with you when you're stuck in addiction. God is with you when you're in a season that is full of confusion. God is with you in the in-between. He's, he's with you in the waiting period. He's with you. God is with you when life is good. God is, God is lift, with you when life is boring. God is with you when you take a risk for him, when you work up the courage to invite somebody to church or, or share the gospel with them or, or bring a cooked meal to their home because you, you heard that they had an accident or, or something like that. God is with you when you do that. And he goes before you. He walks beside you and he comes behind you. And the great hope of the Christian faith is that we know God is always with us no matter what happens. Would you stand with me this morning as I close? I want to pray for you and lead us in a time of prayer. God, we are so thankful that you came, that you did not leave us to our own. You did not abandon us, but you took us in. You stitched us into the family of God. You weave us into your story. Though we are average people, full of mistakes, full of missed opportunities, God, you have called us your own. And we thank you, God, that you came into the world. And now we pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to obey you. You have obeyed the Father. On the most grand scale, Lord, you have demonstrated your willingness to obey. And now you have made it clear to us what you are asking of us. Would you help us to obey your word? Lord, if there is something that you have placed on someone's heart this morning, that they are wrestling, is this from you? Would you just clarify that, God? Would you make it clear to them through community, through scripture, through testing that, yes, you are asking them or, or no, that, no, you aren't? Lord, whatever it is that you may be asking of us, would you empower us and equip us to do it by your Holy Spirit? Help us welcome you into the world, O oh God, as Joseph did. Help us to be bold this week and invite our friends to church, knowing that we have the hope that they need because you have come to us. We love you, God. We thank you, God. We praise you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.